I know whatever the day will bring, I can handle it. I'm not saying that when bad shit happens, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to cry. And I know those emotions need to process, but whatever it is, I know it won't break me forever. You know, I've been broken before and I've been able to find those pieces and put myself together. I'm not afraid of things falling apart. I'm ready to face the day. And if it falls apart, it falls apart. I'll fix it. I can pick it up. Like if a building falls, you can pick up the pieces, you can rebuild. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of This Baby's Not Retrograde. My name is Olga and I'm an astrologer and today we have a little special bonus episode for you. So it will be just me, but I brought on one of my very best friends, Jaquel Gardner, whom I've actually met on Craigslist a few years ago as I was looking for a roommate in Los Angeles. Jaquel is the perfect person, I think, to talk about resiliency, and it's even more important right now than ever. Jaquel has also been the first person who kind of pointed me in the direction of self-discovery because I was so fascinated by her personal story. So Jaquel has gone from a sheltered, abusive childhood and homelessness as well to building a new reality for herself while always staying unapologetically herself. Without realizing she's been led by her inner voice to where she is now, safe, grateful, and inspirational. She recently graduated from UCLA with a master's degree in public health and is now doing meaningful work as a public health practitioner at UCLA. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation with her. I'm super excited to talk to you today. And David actually said, but you're recording with Jaquel. I want to hear it. I want to because I feel like she's going to say something crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So we know each other from Craigslist, actually. And (laughs) we met when I was looking for a place to live in LA. And when we first met, your old roommate made you make sure that you weren't going to say anything crazy. <laughs> yes, act- I wasn't allowed to talk. I had to just smile and she picked out an outfit for me to wear. So I looked decent and wasn't wearing booty shorts and a sports bra. Well, doesn't that sound like your childhood? But <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you were like completely your average Joe, but in the girl form, I guess. And then I remember a few days after I've already moved in and we were sitting down on the couch and you were like, okay, I got to tell you a few things. And like, you kind of spilled <laughs> out your life story or background. Kind of sound so I guess if you want to <laughs> tell me the same background that you told me. Yes. I guess I can give a brief story about my background. In terms of my family, both my parents grew up living in impoverished communities. They were surrounded by gangs, drugs, lack of access to health care, poor education. My mother grew up in Watts, California. My dad, he sort of grew up between Long Beach, Carson, East Los Angeles. And, you know, in addition to this, they also lived in dysfunctional households. Both my parents were raped by individuals in their families and in their communities. And so due to these experiences, they have suffered a lifetime of mental illness. I mean, to this day, my father is still in and out of homelessness and prison and suffers from his own mental illnesses. My mother has also suffered from homelessness and is plagued by her own mental instabilities. I mean, that's just a very (laughs) quick and short version. And that's a whole other story. But I think it's important just to understand my family's background because, you know, the intergenerational effects of this played prominent roles in my own life. 
you know, in their young adult life, both my parents found Christianity. And while I think this really did help them because it sort of stabilized them, um, it also negatively impacted me because between their abusive and hard upbringing, they now added Christianity to the mix. And this sort of became a mix of abuse towards me with evangelical extremism. And so I can talk a little bit more about the Christian part of it, if you'd like. It's actually really interesting how you said that like them finding Christianity was supposed to help them kind of stay resilient and overcome, but it really ruined your life in a way. Yes, yes. And yes, it did. And I think that, you know, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian and, but I do think that the religion can be beautiful if it doesn't have the extremism in it. And I think that extremism though is what my parents needed to get out of their lifestyles. You know, they needed that extreme religion to sort of put them on the stable path. This mix of Christian belief, it helps stabilize them. I mean, that's a whole other subject that I could talk about, but yeah, I think for my parents, it was good. And then for me, it just, it negatively impacted me because, um, you know, my parents, they belong to an organization known as Focus on the Family, and it promotes itself as a, you know, global Christian ministry and encourages raising children according to morals that are grounded in biblical principles. They provide Christian families with information how to build a Christian family home, which is what my parents were trying to do. And, you know, they give parents advice on talking to children, you know, maybe about homosexuality and giving advice to parents on a child who, quote unquote, struggles with their gender confusion. You know, so I was indoctrinated into this type of Christian faith at a young age. I was never allowed to know anything beyond the reality that my parents had created through this, you know, imposed dogma. Um, I could not read books, listen to music that were not Christian. Anything involving Disney was especially off the table because of the spirits of rebellion, maybe like Ariel in The Little Mermaid defying her father. I wasn't allowed to eat foods that were created by satan according to my mother and father like devil's food brand so that was a big no no so we bought angel's food brand i think at the time um makes sense yeah i wasn't yeah i wasn't allowed to go over anyone's house unless my parents were there and weren't allowed to go unless they were i wasn't allowed to go into their house unless they were christian So I wasn't often allowed to go. I had a lot of neighbor friends and I wasn't allowed to go into their house. A lot of them would ask me, why don't you come over? I'm always going to your house. And, you know, it would always be hard for me to tell them, well, you know, you're Satanists, (laughs) according to my parents. (laughs) So, you know, the entirety of my knowledge and developed worldview as a child and into my teen years was filtered through the lens of this evangelical Christianity. And this also included my education. So you were homeschooled. Right. So I didn't receive a formal education. I was on homeschool, but I mean, it's really unschooled with my parents' evangelical Christian beliefs. This was sort of the foundation of their approach towards education. So for my parents, the proper instruction was that all schooling needed to be based in the Bible. They believe Bible study is an essential part to my education and spiritual development. So everything, all of our homeschool time was solely devoted to Bible study. And so I didn't have a lot of the education that a lot of children receive in the public school system. I didn't know the earth was older than 6,000 years. I didn't know about the Big Bang Theory or anything like that. I mean, I had heard it from my friends, my neighbors, things like that. But on my education, everything was Bible based. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my family, you know, we attended church services. So also the majority of my childhood and adolescent memories would take place in and around a church. This was sort of my worldview. This is how I socialized was through church and, you know, the little friendships I had within my neighborhood. And were um, the same kind of extreme Christian, everyone belonged to the same church, basically, and had the same views? Yeah, so our church, they had like a homeschool group. And a lot of, not everyone was obviously homeschooled who went to that church, but some of them were. So a lot of those beliefs was definitely evangelical Christian where I don't think they, the church was ex- as extreme as my parents, or maybe it was, can't quite remember. I think that that church would have taught don't eat from devil's food cake, but not everyone in the church obviously followed those rules. I mean, I had friends from the church who went to the public school system who wore short skirts or whatever, and I wasn't allowed to do any of that. Okay. So it wasn't completely in a bunker, (laughs) Yeah, but close enough. Okay. But I, I think to the church though, and I guess to the outside world, my family was sort of a picture of a structured god-fearing evangelical christian family home my father was the worker and my mother was a stay-at-home mom and our family unit went to countless church services i mean we went to church tuesday night wednesday night friday night sunday mornings i don't know whatever church service was open we went to and i think while my family may have seemed normal to outsiders a lot of physical and sexual abuse occurred in our households and i was often the target of that So if your family was such a perfect Christian family to the outside world, but there's been so many other things that were normal that were happening on the inside, how did those two even go together? (laughs) You know, it it was just, I want to say it was fucking weird because my parents raised me to be tough, to be hard. I wasn't allowed to cry. I remember um, as a kid, I can't remember what exactly I had done wrong, but I remember I did something and I started to cry. My father picked me up off from my shoulders and he was like, you know, don't cry. Don't you dare cry. You're not allowed to cry. But then he would tell me Jesus loves me and we need to love. And then we'd go to church. And then, you know, my father would be cooking up meth in the garage, sleeping with prostitutes, buying me a pound of weed for my 16th birthday. And if he was super high, he would try to course me into sex with him. And then my mother was physically abusive. If I did something wrong, she would in some way try to physically harm me. She held knives to my throat, shoved, I don't know, dirty ass cat litter in my mouth, smashed my head into fridge doors, stabbed my stomach with a pencil. It was always different. And whatever she had in her hand or whatever was near her is what she used. And again, they would just bring me to church. It was very fucking weird because they would teach me about the Bible and teach me these stories. And then they would go about abusing me. And then they would say, oh, you know, the Bible says to raise a child in a way that they ought to, that in the way they should go. That's what you do. You whip them into shape. You know, that was my parents sort of belief. But then they had all these other problems from growing up in the communities. I think the things that impacted them throughout their childhood and into their teen and adult years was mixed in with this Christianity. And that's where this mix sort of came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my parents, they they tried to get help. They were always in 12 step programs. They saw therapists and shit. In my teen years, my father went on some type of medication. I'm not sure what it was, but it was for his mental instabilities. 
he has paranoid schizophrenia. Um, he would go on on and off of it, though. So we'd have periods where he'd disappear, live on the streets and shit. But then when I was 17, he totally quit and ended up on the streets for good. Um, my mom and I ended up losing our house at that time, kind of moving around from place to place. And I eventually moved into a place of my own around the age of 20. So, I mean, it was just a very fucking weird environment. And I always knew there was this something wrong with it but you know my mother would tell me you know if you tell someone what goes on in this household they're gonna take you away from your father and I and Mm. who's to say out there it's not gonna be worse for you it's gonna be a lot worse and you know I had cousins who ended up in the foster care system and it was shit for them you know Mm -hmm. so it's like I knew what the foster care system was like and I'm like well do I want to be beat by some stranger or beat by my mother (laughs) you know might as well yeah (laughs) I feel like I need to make a note, um, too, because we obviously know each other for a long time. And to us, I really love how it's kind of, I think, part of your resilience thing that you do is you kind of like laugh at those situations because that's what helping you through it. So I kind of just want to add that disclaimer. I think that's a great note to add because and And I think it's good for the audience to know that because I laugh because I just, it is a way that I have dealt with my trauma is kind of laughing in its space. But then it's also like, it's so crazy. And because, you know, once the audience sort of understands where my life is now and and the really beauty that I've created around it and just, I feel like it's two different worlds. The fact that I went through all that shit is just, it's hysterical. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? And look where I am now. I'm like, what the fuck? How how does that even happen to someone? It's just, it's ridiculous. That's that's what I think every time I think about you. And I'm like, whoa, that makes no sense. Just from here to there. Um, So now you just recently graduated with a master's degree in public health from UCLA. So you're continuing your work there as a public health practitioner. Is that the correct word? Yes. At UCLA. Mm -hmm. So do you want to fill us in? How did that happen? How did I go to college? (laughs) Yeah. How did you even? not having an education. (laughs) So I think it's kind of important to understand when you're a homeschooler that, you know, there are certain laws that can protect parents to homeschool their children. And those parents are sort of allowed to teach their children whatever they want. Not well, not really whatever they want, but there's not really a reporting system. And if there is now, I'm not aware of it. But back then, you know, mm-hmm. my mother would say, you know, I'm teaching them all the things that they need to be taught. And I ended up getting a um, high school diploma from my mother's school that she ran. So I had a high school diploma and I was allowed to go to college. Um, I hadn't really thought about it, but after, you know, my mom and I ended up losing our house, sort of living from place to place to place. And I ended up on my own. I was like, well, I need money. And someone had informed me that college students get financial aid. They get money for going to college. So I was like, I was hella fucking broke. So I enrolled in community college for the money. And I mean, most to be real, most of the reasons that I continued college were financial. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be this. I want to do this. I was like, hey, free money. Yep. 
So you, you just signed up for a bunch of classes. You didn't really know what you were going to study or what were you interested? No, I just signed up for rock climbing, psychology, and an English class because they were like, oh, you need to take this English class. So I was like, okay, I'll take that English class. <laughs> and then I just yeah. randomly picked a psychology 101 or whatever. <laughs> so what was the experience like did you like your classes did you like being in college oh my god I fell in love with it I remember when my psychology class mostly because you know we had learned about mental health I learned about what bipolar was I learned about all these things and my mind was just getting blown away I was like oh my god this is my situation you know I learned about childhood health and trauma and how it impacts a person and I just every single class I went to I was blown away by the class. And even in my English class, I finally figured out where commas and periods went, which I never knew before. So I started to learn things that I just never knew before. My brain was just constantly being blown the fuck away. What was it like to interact with other people? I mean, I didn't start college until I was 20. But before that, when I was 18, I had gotten a job. And so I kind of learned about what the world was like already. And I had neighbors too growing up where I knew Mm -hmm. what the world was like. But I was so fearful of leaving the Christian belief because my parents ingrained into my soul that I would go to hell if I ever left the Christian belief. And that took years for me to realize, hey, you're not going to hell. You know, you're you're okay. Or maybe I will, who knows? But like, you know, (laughs) um, you know, that was still ingrained. So I still held on to my Christian belief inside but you know all these new things in in college and the world around me started um making making more sense as how the world works like you know i i wasn't raised to be able to have a christian belief system and also realize that science and christianity can go together you know there's some christians who hold on to their faith Mm -hmm. in God and Jesus, but then also like take science as a real thing. The earth is older than 6,000 years old. And they they learn how to be in their belief system while being in this culture and world we live in. And I wasn't raised that way. So it was very difficult Mm -hmm. for me to, to hold on to this belief while being in, I don't know. No, that makes sense. Um, So as you were taking your community college classes, did you realize that you wanted to continue with your education? Because you moved to a university after that. (laughs) You know, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was, I mean, to be honest, Olga, and I mean, you know this, I was just going with the flow. You know, I was told you get money if you take classes. And in order to keep the money, you had to get good grades. And if you got a certain GPA, you could get more money for scholarships and grants. So one, I was scared to lose my money. And two, I could get more money if I did good. So I spent hours and hours reading everything, studying everything, doing all the homework, even if it wasn't required. I I do the extra credit. I mean, you can ask any one of my professors. I spent all their office hours. I I went to every single office hour that I could. I used up some of their lunch hours too, asking them questions. And (laughs) I know I was annoying. I would straight up ask them, how do I get in an A? I would tell them, look, here's my situation. I'm broke as fuck. My situation is fucked. I need the money to continue college. I need good grades to get the money. How do I do good in this class? You know, I'm here going to your office hours. I'm doing the homework. I read everything. What more can I do? And, you know, they would tell me, read so-and-so chapter. 
learn about these theories, make sure you understand this issue. And so I would, I would, I would do everything they told me. And then on top of that, I would send thousands of emails asking to clarify something I didn't understand. So I just, I just kind of kept doing this. And then people around me were kind of like, supporting me you know I had an English teacher that sort of referred me to become an English tutor and told me you know you can go to a university why don't you just apply and I kind of laughed and she's like no seriously and she brought me the information to apply I mean I was so open I was like this is my situation I'm I'm fucked help me what do I do and and they would bring me pamphlets they would bring me information and say here's how you apply go to the career center at your community college, go talk to them, go talk to college counselors. I did everything they, they did. They told me where to go. They brought me the information and then I would go and do it. And so it was me just being open to their suggestion. I wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going to do this. I was really just going because, you know, community college was giving me money and I was also interested in learning. But then I also had these people supporting me and pushing me to go to a university and then so I applied <laughs> and then I got in and I was like, go, I'll just keep going to see what happens. It was honestly a real go with the flow, see what happens. So I know just again, from knowing you while you were going with the flow, how did it feel like, because I know you've mentioned before that you didn't really feel like you belong to that. Oh, yeah environment. I mean, it wasn't even that I, I felt that way. I absolutely knew that I didn't belong. It wasn't a feeling I had or a thought I had. It was logical that I didn't belong. I knew I didn't belong. I had this constant voice in my head that was questioning my academic actions, this voice that told me I didn't belong. I, I just, I knew that that was an environment I didn't belong in. But you still kept <laughs> yeah. going. I mean, for me, just because I have these thoughts, it doesn't hold me back. I continued through my education afraid. I mean, I believed in not only my undergraduate degree, but my recent graduate degree that I could not finish. And I continued against my own belief in myself. And that's something that I do. Like, if I don't believe I can do something, that doesn't stop me from doing it. There's this part of me that decides to continue. I never let my thoughts about myself dictate my reality. And then over time, these thoughts about who I am in this world become less negative and more encouraging. I think I think of Eminem. Um, he was told as a white rapper, he would never make it in the rap industry. And the more he heard this, the more he wanted to prove people wrong. And I guess I relate to that because continuing my education was a way of proving to my thoughts that they were wrong. Mm. So it's more like for yourself, not other people, because yes, you didn't really like, you didn't have anyone yeah. to prove to. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so you said that you kind of, you continued against your own belief in yourself, but then you kind of still had this belief that you can do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be just keep going when you don't feel like there's going to be the end result of it, because otherwise, it's so pointless. So it wasn't a belief that I could do it. It's because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of failure. So I'm capable of doing something, even though I don't believe it it can finish just because I don't believe in myself. And I have these thoughts and these things in me saying that I can't do it. I also I'm not afraid of still doing it. I guess I'm not af afraid of failure. You know, I read or heard something a long time ago that failure isn't falling, it's staying down. 
And if everything around me falls apart in the end, it's not the end of the world. If school doesn't work out, I could be a hairdresser or a stripper. I don't know. I just wasn't afraid of failing. So that's why I continued. So it's better to fail than it is to quit. Yeah. Almost. I guess so. Um, And I'm also kind of like, well, let's just see what happens. The worst that could happen was that it doesn't work out. And even then, it's not the worst at this point because you're... It's cool. Yeah, I mean, the fact is I get to experience it. And yeah. I think um, it's important to know that I, I trust myself. I feel like I'm a very strong person. And maybe this comes from being fearless, which comes from fully trusting in myself. I know whatever the day will bring, I can handle it. I'm not saying that when bad shit happens, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to cry. And I know those emotions need to process, but whatever it is, I know it won't break me forever. You know, I've been broken before and I've been able to find those pieces and put myself together. I'm not afraid of things falling apart. I'm ready to face the day. And if it falls apart, it falls apart. I'll fix it. I can pick it up. If a building falls, you can pick up the pieces you can rebuild. Hmm, that's really beautiful. <laughs> and I love, um, I really, really love that idea that failure is not falling, but yeah. staying down. So you did say that while you're still grateful for any experiences and just the fact that you get to live another day, you do get upset. So how do you deal with that? I talk about it. Like I talk, talk, talk. I mean, I think, you know, living with me, if I'm upset about something, I talk about it right then and there. I just, I talk, 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 talk about it, whether it's to my therapist, to my friends, to anyone, I let them know what's going on, why I feel that way. You know, as for the trauma that I faced, I talk about that too, you know, and I talk to anyone about it. I sort of measure who I can tell what to and what level for their sake. But I still talk about it. If it's my boss, I'm not going to be like, I'm crying right now because I was raped. But I may be like, hey, I'm having a hard day. I still want to be at work, but I'm not feeling myself today. I need more breaks today. I'm going to talk about how I'm feeling, you know. How do you get over, do you, I don't know, maybe you just don't ever have that fear, but like being open with people because it's so hard for others. How do you just (laughs) think that it's okay to just be open and what allows you to be open? um, Part of it is that I've always been a very blunt person since I was a kid. I'm just blunt. I think like, oh, because your rising sign is is Sagittarius. Yeah, I've been blunt. But then also when I was in tough situations, I learned that being open and honest and telling people hey, I need fucking help. I need you to do something for me. I'm gonna not survive unless you help me. I need financial aid. I need this. I need food stamps. I need to get these things. I need you to drive me here so that I can do it. I've learned that being open has saved me. So that's part of why. And it, you know, there's been times where it'll be like, I fuck up. I'll say shit that I'm not supposed to say and I'll be open and blunt and it gets me in trouble. But then at the same time, it, it's also been my saving grace and it's helped me to get where I'm at. So it's like I'm refining it over time. Do you ever just talk to yourself about it? I do. I have lots of conversations going on inside my head. <laughs> Obviously, I've experienced trauma in my life and you know, that's just not going to go away. I'm never just going to get over it. I approach myself when I'm sad. So I, I feel like I have these characters inside myself. So maybe let's say I have a traumatic memory I'll, or sort of hug myself, even physically, I'll sort of hug me and I'll say, 
hi, my love, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And, you know, maybe I'll start crying and then I'll be like, it's okay, my love, cry. Let me hold your tears. Let me wipe those away for you. And then as I'm wiping them away, I'm here. I love you. And then be like, look what I've created for you. And then sort of I start looking out what's in front of me. And, you know, I have these wonderful friends. I have this beautiful apartment. I have such a great life. And I'll tell myself, look what I've done for you. Look what I've created for you. You never have to go back to that ever again because I've made your life so beautiful. And I will protect you always. You know, I sort of have this voice telling the sad part of me that you're safe, you're loved, I'll protect you. And then the memories, while they're still there, I'm I'm able to live with those memories fearlessly. So I still have all those memories in my head and the things that happened to me, but I don't have the emotional reaction anymore because when I have those memories, and even sometimes I forget I have certain things that I have to deal with and a new one will come up, but when it comes up and I face it, I have this part of me who's telling me it's okay, let's walk through it together. I love you, I'm here, I've gotten you through before, let me walk you through again. I love you, I'll protect you. And I sort of pick up this like sad, weak part of me and I pick it up and I start walking it through the trauma and say, well, look what happened, but look how I got you out of it. You know, I have these different voices sort of walking me through that pain and that trauma. And then there's been times too, though, where um, it will be so hard. Maybe a part of me will be like, you can't do it. There's been times where where I didn't want to get up, where I knew I couldn't make it. And I will have this conversation where one part of me will be like, you can't do it. You can't get through it. And then the other part of me will be like, you can, you can do it. And the other part of me will be like, it's too hard. It's too painful. I can't breathe anymore. And then this other part of me would be like, okay, I see you can't do it. So I'll do it for you. I'll pick you up. I'll carry you. I'll get you through it. Sleep, my dear one. When you wake up, I'll have everything taken care of. It's like I have these different kind of characters in my head, one who's sad, one who's weak, one who's strong, one who like even parts of me who've given up, but they all sort of hold each other. And even sometimes the strong one is tired. And so maybe the sad one will be like, it's okay, you can be tired. And then they'll be like, let's, let's get some sleep. (laughs) I'll be like, okay, sounds good. Sleep, sleep is great. (laughs) Do you think that that part that's kind of sad and sometimes tells you that you can't do it that it's kind of like your conscious mind and the other one is kind of like your inner being that's kind of detached I don't know (laughs) I mean maybe that I I wish I knew I wish I could put like yes the sad one yeah the trauma part of me and the strong one is who I am now but I really have No idea. I just know that they're all in communication with each other. When I look at them inside my brain and I'm sort of visualizing them talking, I feel like there's a young part of me who went through the trauma and then there's the part of me who I am now and she'll go up to the the young child and pick her up and say, hi, my love, how are you feeling today? You're in this situation and you remember this pain. How can I walk you through it and let you know that you're going to be okay? because look at where you are now. It's like my past and present and even future are all colliding in my head and all the characters are talking to each other and helping each other move forward. Yeah. 
And I guess you don't need to know what part is what because either way, they're all a part of you and there is never going to be a black and white because all of these characters and personalities are a part of you as a whole. Yeah. Yes, I feel like I've just built all these conversations in me and I'm probably insane, but <laughs> I'm fine with being insane because it is working for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really is who you are. So you're very open with people, but with some people you will filter yourself. And I'm asking because I know that about you too, is the filtering almost comes from your inner being as well. Like you're not filtering to make others around you happy, but you're filtering because that's what feels right in the moment. I think I feel the need for filtering sometimes because people can't always handle the things that I've been through. It actually makes them feel emotionally uncomfortable. And there may be people who were raped, right? And I may be talking to them about my situation in which I was raped or sexually abused and it may bring up memories for them that are hard to deal with and so I filter myself a lot of the times to protect other people and their emotions and their feelings mm. and the more a person that as I get to know them the more I feel that they're comfortable in hearing certain things the more that I'm I'll be open with them. In terms of our, our friendships, maybe some random person I may not be as comfortable with, but if it's like someone I'm around a lot, my boss, my friends, I start to be more careful with filtering because of their own protection. But then that's not, sometimes I'm just like, you know, sometimes I'm just fully open. And then sometimes I filter and I, and I think I'm refining that as life goes on. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so another thing I know about you is you're so freaking excited of like life's smallest things. And even when you were here last time and we went to, I don't know, kill some time at a Starbucks, you were so excited about your plain bagel and cream cheese. That <laughs> I kind of reevaluated my own life and I was like, oh, I feel like I am pretty consistent with um, practicing gratitude. And I do realize that it's such a big part of living a happy life, but you have mastered it to the fullest. <laughs> I, oh God, I, I do get that a lot where I'm just genuinely excited and happy individual. I think part of it is, and I know we shouldn't compare, but I totally compare because I'm like, well, how can I not be happy because I'm not, you know, living in my car right now? <laughs> I yeah. have a shower and a bed. I'm so happy I'm not where I was before. How can I not be happy now? So that's one thing is kind of comparing my previous situation to now. And I really don't like to do that because you never know what your present situation is going to change. And then maybe you can't compare it anymore. But so I try not to compare. But that's I think, a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I'm also, then there's that also part of me where I'm like, oh, but you know, if it does fall apart, that's okay, too, because it's fallen apart before. And I was also able to pick up those pieces and put them together. So it's a mixture of comparing but also I don't know, that's, it's hard not being like, not being scared that they're gonna go away. Like, yeah, you just be grateful and yeah, like feel that they're gonna be there. Yeah. And then 
I think the second part of it is I think my personality is that I, I appreciate very simple things. The things that I enjoy in life are at a very simple level. My favorite things are showering, sleeping, eating, sex with my lover, spending time with my friends and ice cream. I love ice cream. <laughs> I love ice cream. And these things are all free or just super cheap. And so, you know, I do enjoy more expensive things in life too, like going to Soho house or a vacation in Spain. You know, as long as it's with my friends and I'm having a good time, I'm, I'm going to be happy. Like I'm not going to not be happy with hanging out with my friends. I'm always going to appreciate it. Even during this pandemic that we're facing right now, my roommate and I kind of bumped heads a little bit, but you know, I said to her, I'd rather be bumping heads with you living here than not than to be alone. So I'm going to appreciate the bumping heads and communicating with her and then not be alone, you know, so it's just mm -hmm. like you kind of look at your situation, you're like, what would not exist? You know, what would be the opposite? Yeah, it's kind of like going back to the comparison, but mm -hmm. Still, I mean, yeah, if it makes you appreciate even the annoying things in life. Yeah. Annoying things are fun. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, in life, you're still going to have to have some sort of problem. So you might as well go for the less annoying or less traumatic than traumatic. But either way, you're not going to have a perfect life. And then if you do have a perfect life, you're going to start complaining that everything is so perfect. It's boring. <laughs> like right. I do sometimes. So when it comes to situations like that, and especially having gone through trauma, do you ever feel guilty about being grateful for the things that you have? Because sometimes I find kind of struggling where I'm like, okay, a practice of gratitude is obviously so important. But sometimes when I'm trying to write down all these things that I'm grateful for, this feeling of like, well, am I sitting here writing down all the things I have to be grateful for minimizing the suffering of everyone else around? I think that it's an awareness that is healthy, because I think we do need to recognize that, you know, we, we can be thankful for these situations. But it's also important to be aware that not everyone has these situations. And then being aware of that also makes you want to do something about it, advocate for better health care for people or whatever. So I think that that's healthy because you have an awareness, but I don't feel guilty for being thankful. No, I mean, I do have to sometimes mask it depending on the situation, you know. So another very curious thing about you is you're super open and super like go with the flow. But when it comes to routine, you have your bedtime, you have your laundry day, you have um, you wear your hair short. So how do those two parts live within you? I think that I'm a very random go with the flow kind of person. But my routine aspects of me are because of time, like time is valuable. So I enjoy sleeping. And I enjoy spending time with friends in order to have that time, I need to create certain routines to have those things. So it's like I wear a all black so I only have to do one load of laundry and then if I spill coffee on my black clothes and I spill things on myself all the time <laughs> I don't have to go to the bathroom to wash it I can just pat it down and you don't even know that it's dirty all day and so I I like save time going to the bathroom <laughs> or 
you know, I wear the same shirts, pants, socks, so I don't have to think about what I'm wearing in the morning. I can just grab it and go. My hair is short because I don't have to worry about straightening it, blow drying it, doing it. Laundry's always on Thursday because I don't want to waste time washing clothes on the weekend. I want to enjoy my full weekend with my friends. And grocery shopping is always on Monday and preparing food is on Monday so that I can spend time all day Sunday with my friends. The routines that I've created for myself are to save time in life that I can enjoy the things that I want to do. It's basically, it's something that you do kind of very mindfully and it's not like you have this, I don't know, because some people like really need a routine. I, I, I don't need a routine, but I, I need it to enjoy the things that I want, like you know, experiences bring joy. What do I have to do to get these experiences? It's like all these things sort of tie into each other. Yeah, it is about balance. Yeah. Have you ever, I mean, you're so very into like being in tune with yourself and listening to yourself, but was there ever a piece of advice that you've been given that you consider the best? (laughs) The best advice that has been given to me has actually come from my mother. I remember two things that she told me. And one of them was that when she had moved out of Watts to Venice, and she said that when she was moving out of Watts, that she thought that her life was going to change. All these issues that she had were suddenly going to change. But then she realized when she moved away, all of her problems followed her with her. The traumas that had happened to her, all of these things that she was facing her mind went with her when she moved and so she'd always tell me if you don't address problems right then and there they're gonna follow you and so that kind of stuck out to me because whenever I have a problem whether that's with work or with a friend with anything like I nip it in the butt I mean and you know this about me I address it right away Like maybe I need a day to think about it or what I'm going to say, or maybe I'll approach my friend and be like, can we have a conversation about this when you're ready? But I always try to address it as soon as both parties are ready to address it. And then, you know, another thing my mom would say would be like, the grass may be greener on the other side, but you have to water that grass too. And, (laughs) and she would say that because like, Again, with like, no matter where you go, you have to learn to take care of yourself was sort of what she would tell me. And, you know, and sometimes I look at another person's grass. I'm like, because, you know, I'm not rich. And then most of my life has been spent trying to stabilize myself. So sometimes I look at the other side. I'm like, God, these rich girls like Kim Kardashian. I'm like, I want that fancy party life, you know, because I'm a Leo. Like, I want to party it up. But then, you know, I'm like, you know, but I need to focus on watering my own grass. And everyone's garden is different and needs different, has different gardening needs and needs to be watered differently. So then I'm like, you know, appreciate that life, appreciate that that's what's going on in their life, but focus on watering your own grass and watering yourself. And so, you know, I, and I appreciate too that I've met people along the way who have these nice things in life and I'm able to experience them. But then I think it's also important to note, Olga, that, you know, resiliency is important and watering yourself and addressing your problems, all those things I think are important. But I also think it's the systems around a person that helps support their continued resiliency. My transformation is also because of systems that were in place and people who supported me. So I don't want to just say, you know, I was resilient and I made it through this situation and, 
I'm watering my grass and I'm growing. I was able to overcome these things because of myself, but also because of systems that were in place and literally people who decided to reach out and grab my hand and pull me out of situations. I've had so many instances where I was resilient, but then I had so many instances where people came and pulled me out of situations. Well, here it is. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. You can always find us on social media and our websites are included in the description below. If you are listening to this podcast on iTunes, please rate us so other people can find us more easily. And if you have any feedback, we're so open to hearing it. If you have any questions or suggestions for other episodes, please hit us up and we'll see you here next week. Thank you. Thank you.